Coming up, an NBA power poll and a lot of NFL next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I hope you're checking out all of our football content on the ringer.com as well as the Ringer NFL show. Against All Odds, the Ryan Rosillo podcast, the Ringer Gambling Show. We are covered every which way as we head into one of the most fun weekends of the year, round two, four football games. Two higher spreads, one medium high spread, and then Chiefs Bills, the last game, which is going to be really, really great. I hope you're following me on youtube.com slash Bill Simmons. I've been putting up shorts Sometimes I just walk around LA and I think of something and I send a video and then all of a sudden they do jump cuts and then we just put it up. I've been having fun doing that. So sometimes there's stuff that it's a dumb idea or it's something in the moment, but if you like that kind of stuff, you can check out youtube.com slash Bill Simmons. And that's where we put a lot of the clips from this podcast and the rewatchables full episodes as well. So there you go. Coming up on this podcast, I did a mid-season NBA power poll and tried to hit as many things as I possibly could in like a half hour. I think I pulled it off. And then Peter Schrager came back because we did well on Million Dollar Picks last week. So we're going to talk about all the round two games, round two games. And then at the end, I'm going to do Million Dollar Picks, round two. NFL playoffs, it's all coming up next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, it is the midseason NBA Power Poll. Can't believe we're here. Taping this at uh, 10.30 on a Thursday morning. Hopefully there will be no more trades. We're going to go from 30 to 1. Worst team to best team. First category is the dregs. We have five teams that are absolutely terrible that have a minus nine or, or net or worse, which is kind of impossible. It reminds me of the uh, cocaine era in the 80s when there were just like five, six, seven, just horrible teams every single year. Going in order, number 30, Detroit. They're 4-37. and 37. 
Number 29, Washington. They're 7-32. and 32. Number 28, Charlotte, 8-30. and 30. Number 27, Portland, 11-29. and 29. And that might be 11-59 and 59 in about 30 games. And then last but not least, San Antonio. They're number 26 for me, 7-33. and 33. Uh, I want to talk about Detroit quickly. Monty Williams, $80 million. I think it's a main reason why Spolstra ended up getting 120 from Miami because he was like, they gave that guy $80 million. I'm, I'm at least like twice as good as that guy. Um, the Jaden Ivey year that, uh, that, that kind of unfolded for the first six weeks of the season where he didn't have the ball nearly enough. They were playing Killing Hayes in a, in a ball handling spot over him. He was kind of standing on the side even though he can't really shoot. Monty should have to give back like $20 million of the money just for how he treated Jaden Ivey for about six weeks there. Now Ivey's getting going. They have some pieces of like, I got to say, I've not crossed them off my league pass yet. I still kind of enjoy watching them. Isaiah Stewart came back. Um, the Marvin Bagley trade was hilarious to me. This is one of my favorite NBA things when they give somebody a stupid contract over the summer. I mean, it was like $13 million a year. Who are you competing against for Marvin Bagley? And then six months later, they do a trade where they have to give second round picks to get rid of the Bagley thing. And then to the media, it's like, well, you know, now we have $60 million in cap space. For who? You're the Pistons. You suck. Nobody wants to play for you. And you just had to attach second round picks for a stupid signing that you should have done in the first place. How does everybody have a job there? Like, what else do you need to do to get fired? Not that I'm advocating for people to get fired, but everyone in the Pistons should get fired. Um, they should have dealt Bogdanovich last year. He is one of the best pieces now. And this is going to be ring around the rosy. There's only a couple teams that need wings. He's the perfect price range. He's in the 20s now. Bruce Brown's on Toronto. There's guys out there in Philly. Um, Philly's probably the biggest one that's going to be going after uh, like a swing, somebody making between 15 and 20, but Miami's in the mix. Like they should deal Bogdanovich now before a couple of these guys go. Um, I don't know what they're doing. If I was a Pistons fan, I would be out of my mind with how this season has gone because they, they're paying the most money to the coach who doesn't know what he's doing. All right. Next, uh, oh, on number 27, Portland, quickly. I, I, I'll buy your scoot stock if you're selling it, but it does make you wonder, should they have just um, traded the number three pick and got an impact guy and kept Dame and kept Grant and, you know, and actually tried to be good because the West is so wide open? So I went down that thought road and I just couldn't come up with what the trade was. Like the number three pick for Ananobi, I don't. I just don't think Toronto would have done it. I think they valued him. Jalen Brown, Boston probably doesn't do it. Um, maybe Siakam. The value of that number three pick was somewhere around those guys. Did those guys make a difference? I think they probably ended up in the right place. We'll see with Scoot. But um, it just is an interesting slide indoors for them. All right. Next category is the year from hell. That's obviously Memphis. They are somehow 15 and 25, even though every single thing has gone wrong for them. They did stumble into this Gigi Jackson guy who I had never heard of, obviously. I knew he was a second-round pick. Did some research on him, though, and he was the number one overall guy in the class of 2023. And he was supposed to go to North Carolina, and he reclassified and ended up in the class of 2022. Goes to South Carolina for a year. It, I guess the season didn't go that well because they ended up going 45th. This seems to happen over and over again, these pedigree guys. Derek Lively's a little bit like this on the maps too. These guys that are like clearly top five, top three, maybe even top one in their high school class, like ninth, 10th, 11th grade, maybe even in 12th grade. Then 
then they something weird happens to them in college for a year. They go to the wrong team or they get hurt. And then all of a sudden they fall into like the 30s and 40s. Gigi Jackson, I'm watching this guy. With that said, Memphis is very close to being on my league pass cross-off list, which right now includes Washington, Brooklyn, Memphis maybe, unless Gigi Jackson turns into uh, young Amari Stoudemire. And I got to say, I can't watch San Antonio. I know they have Wemby. I know he is an absolute unicorn. I know he does stuff every every game. But guess what? That's what YouTube is for. That's what Twitter's for. That's what your friends texting you a video is for. I don't have to watch the Spurs games to get a Wemby fix. That team is a disgrace. I can't believe that's the team they're putting around Wemby. I Honestly, I can't believe it. What are you doing? You have like a once in a generation dude and the roster he has is the worst roster in the league. And they don't even really have cap space, which I don't understand. Anyway, Wemby, if you ever do anything good, guess what? I'll see it on social media. I'm not watching the Spurs. Next category, trade machine mercenaries. Well, Toronto's already traded Ananobi and Siakam. And they've turned those guys into Quickly and RJ Barrett and Bruce Brown and three first-round picks, including two in this upcoming draft that everybody seems to absolutely hate and is comparing to 2013 and 2000. Um, I still didn't mind the trade because Siakam was going to leave. Ananobi's doing really well in the Knicks, but I like what they got back. They had to change their identity. They're 16 and 25 right now. Can they flip Bruce Brown? Or will Bruce Brown be really fun in the Siakam role? I love Bruce Brown. We'll get to him later. Should they trade Pirtle? Brown's at 22 million. Pirtle's at 19.5 million. If they trade Brown, they can't put anything else with it. But they could do stuff like they could trade Brown to the Knicks for four days expiring and one first, two first, whatever. They could trade him for Andrew Wiggins and some sort of pick swap. I keep saying this, Andrew Wiggins is from Canada. Um, Or keep Bruce Brown or... This is what pisses me off. I know he's going to end up in Philadelphia. Can somebody else trade for him before he ends up with Philadelphia? It's super easy for Philadelphia to get him. They got Marcus Morris. They can add one more contract. Um, Just take Bruce Brown back. He's the perfect guy for the Sixers if they don't have to give up anything in their core. Um, Ultimate glue guy. I loved what he did on Denver last year. I hope and pray that Philly doesn't get Bruce Brown. Um, Next trade machine mercenaries, Brooklyn at number... 23, they're 16 and 24. And then last but not least, Atlanta at 17 and 23. Um, I think the James Harden for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, a 23 first and a future 27 first top eight protected is edging up the ladder of worst deals of the last 10 years. Oof. Um, I look at their team. They don't have their pick because it's going to Houston. Their keepers... Mikael Bridges, probably Cam Johnson, and there's a little pricey. Their trade assets are Finney Smith, O'Neal, Claxton, and Dinwiddie. And there's a little hesitation, like, what are we? We don't have our pick. You don't want to tank. You know what? The move is to be sellers. You can't even, the pick's gone. They already went through this with the Tatum pick and the Brown pick. Just the draft sucks. Just trade. Trade Finney Smith. He's at 13, 14, and 15. Trade O'Neal. Maybe trade Nick Claxton. Maybe somebody wants Dinwiddie. Get rid of all these dudes. I think they should trade Claxton to OKC because OKC desperately needs a a big guy. Flip Finney Smith to Philly for a pick. Send O'Neal out for a pick. Just bottom out. Your roster stinks and it's not fun to watch you guys. So don't worry about that. You don't have a pick. And then Atlanta, who knows what's going to happen with Murray. Everybody knows he's been available for a month. I think it'd be hilarious if he went back to San Antonio, which would be, I think, the first ever return to sender trade we've had. 
They gave a, Atlanta gave up 25, 27 first, a 26 pick swap, and a future Charlotte first, plus an expiring for Murray. Can they get 70% of that back? If you're San Antonio, you're feeling good. Sent this guy away for a couple of years, got one but now he's coming back. I don't know where he ends up, and I'm not positive how good he is because I haven't loved how he's looked at Atlanta, and I don't know whether it's Trey Young's fault or it's the wrong team or what's going on, but um, the guy who used to be a defensive stud, it, it, the eye test is not backing that up this year. So I don't know what happens with him. KOC was saying trade Trey Young to San Antonio for picks. I kind of like that idea. At least it get me to watch San Antonio. Next category is yikes. Golden State um, just had a terrible tragedy this week too. They lost uh, their assistant coach and um, it's just like, just one thing after another with that team. I have no idea what they're going to do at the trade deadline because it Wiggins has almost given himself negative value where you have to attach something just to get rid of him. That's how that's how dark it's got for Wiggins. Kaminga, I talked about this on the podcast last week. He made his own bed um, two weeks ago when he was complaining in the press when he's 21 years old. He's done jack shit in his career. You shouldn't be talking to the press. Settle down, Kaminga. Um, Clay's on an expiring and you're stuck because he's a statue guy and he's literally a statue if you watch him. Like he he just doesn't have the same mobility. And I don't really know what the move is and they just actually feel done to me. Like I, I don't think there's any coming back. I don't think there's a scenario where they could crack the top four, upset somebody in round one. I just don't see it. I think they don't see it. Got me thinking. What happens if Charlotte calls them and Godfather offers them for Steph? And I know Golden State will say no. I know he's one of the most untradeable guys we've had this century. But let's talk it out. What if they offered LaMelo and they offered Hayward's expiring and they offered them four unprotected first for Steph Curry? Now you'd say, why did Charlotte do that? Well, Charlotte's been a disaster as a basketball franchise, basically um, in any incarnation of it. Steph Curry from Charlotte, they bring back, they bring back the hero. Now you have a building base. He becomes, maybe you promise him down the road, wink, wink, you'll get a piece of this team when you retire. And you just make him Mr. Charlotte. And then if you're Golden State, you get a reboot with Lamelo, the guy you should take it anyway and a bunch of firsts. Maybe it's not four firsts, maybe it's three firsts. I was trying to figure out, it's a good who said no. Who, who would say no? Also, what's the offer that would make Golden State at least take a meeting? And I think it would be LaMelo and four first. Um, they're not trading Steph. So when this gets aggregated, because this is the new world we live in where they just aggregate a piece of something you said and not the actual context of it, I do not think the Warriors are going to trade Steph Curry. My point is, if Charlotte calls them and Godfather offers them for Steph Curry, I think they have a meeting at least. Where the hell are they going? What are they going to do with Steph Curry for the next five years of his career? It really feels like this is a mess. So anyway, that's how bad it's got for the Warriors of making up Steph Curry trades. Next category, works in progress. Houston is 19 and 21 and the arrow is pointing down. Chicago is 19 to 23, 19 and 23 and the arrow is pointing sideways. They are still minus 2.6 net rating. Uh, I have the Lakers at 18. They are 20 and 21. And those are the three. I'm not positive where things are going with those teams. The Lakers have the pedigree, but, um, you know, to be 500 for half of a season when your two best guys have been healthy the entire time is not a good sign. One thing that's funny with LeBron, I know we've talked about the, you know, how they've been 
in the 20s offensive rating five of the six years he's been in the Lakers. And they, you hear people talk about, oh, they got to get shooting. They got to get this guy. They got to get that guy. Well, there's a couple of things that nobody ever mentions with this. They're paying two max guys a combo of like $100 million a year when there's a salary cap. Really hard to have three guys. Look at what Phoenix did. Phoenix was able to cram the third max guy. And now they're in, you know, God only knows what's going to happen with that team, especially anytime Beal gets hurt. They uh, they just look like a mess. Um, so you're going to have to you're going to have to hit on the fringes, and you're going to have some flawed guys. You're gonna you're not going to end up with Kyrie Irving. You're going to end up with D'Angelo Russell. That's the way it goes when you're paying two fifty million dollar guys. What's interesting is, especially the Laker fans I know is like they ah, they just got to get some shooting around LeBron. Well, they had shooting around LeBron. Go look at the three-point leaders. Beasley, he's 48% from three this year. He's second in the league. He's making three a game for the Bucks. He was wasting away on their bench last year. They had Caruso. They won a title with him. He's at 41.5%. They let him go. KCP, they traded him for fucking Russell Westbrook. He's at 40.7% threes this year, 1.5 a game. They had Malik Monk. He's one of the best six men in the league. They had him on the team and had an unhappy season with him. And then he went to Sacramento and was immediately good. Even right now, Russell, 40.7%. Prince is at 38.5%. Maybe we're not asking the right questions. If these shooters are going on to thrive outside of LA, why is that? What's going on? Um, is it hard to play in the fishbowl of the Lakers? Is it hard to play where AD and LeBron, it's their team and everybody else are these interchangeable dudes that end up in trade rumors the moment anything's going wrong? Look at Austin Reeves. He just signed this big, I, I think they gave him $56 million for four years. And the moment things go wrong, it's his fault. He's in every trade. And needs to say, he's not playing well. So I do wonder, and I don't think this is LeBron's fault, but it's the fishbowl that he brings. Some guys don't play that well in it. And then you're always looking at glass half half empty instead of glass half full. And in this case, like this team had good shooters. Malik Beasley's been an awesome offensive player this year. He didn't play last year. So what are they doing wrong? I think is a more interesting question than what do they need? Let's take a break and then we'll do the other 17 teams. When it comes to the NFL playoffs, you got to win one game at a time. But when you bet the NFL playoffs on FanDuel, one game can mean a lot of wins. FanDuel, America's number one sports book. They have all your favorite bets. They have money line, spread, futures, prop bets, whatever you got. We love to do million dollar picks here on the BS podcast. And we are going to do one boost and one same game parlay. Same game parlay is going to be on the Lions. I'm going to throw that one out on million dollar picks. We'll do some variation of it uh, that I'll tweet about when we get closer to the game. And then we're going to do some sort of boost for Packers Niners with Jordan Love throwing at least two touchdowns and maybe an adjusted line spread. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, you can check out my Twitter feed. You can check out FanDuel because every day is an NFL playoff game practically right now. And they're giving you no sweat, same game parlays, which means when you combine all your bets for a chance at a bigger payday, you'll get bonus bets back if your SGP doesn't win. But my Lions... My Lions SGP. Hopefully we'll win. Visit FanDuel.com slash BS if you don't already have an account. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. Minimum three-leg parlay required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets which expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. 
See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, next category is the super fun crew. I got 17, Orlando. They're down to 22 and 19. No Franz. I'm not worried yet, but um, no Franz. They, you realize how Paolo and Franz dependent they are. Suggs has been my personal role guy, MVP, until Bruce Brown ends up on an awesome team. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they decide we're actually a little closer than people think. We're going to go make a move or just kind of play it cool for one more year. They do have some expirings and some stuff to trade. I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, we'll see when Franz comes back. But to me, this is probably a play-in team, unfortunately. Number 16, Utah. Will Hardy. He's got to be the coach of the year. I don't, I don't, that team was like a giant buffet table of food. And it was like a brunch buffet table. So there's like some lunch on there and some breakfast and there's some fruit, but there's also oysters. And you're like, what the hell is this team? What am I supposed to put all this stuff on my plate? And none of it made sense. And then somehow he made sense with it. He, he now has Kessler on the bench, right? That doesn't make sense. Kessler is a really good young center, but for them, it makes sense. They play Sexton and Chris Dunn together. I didn't even know Chris Dunn was alive and Chris Dunn has been rejuvenated, but they moved everything around. I never thought they were going to trade Markin in, um, but all the, all the lineup kind of rotation stuff they've done, the Celtics killed them. I have, unfortunately, every time I watch Utah, they play terribly or it's, they underachieve. So I need to catch them on a good game. But um, I'll tell you this with Danny. I saw this with the Celtics. He'll zag when you think he's going to zig and he'll zig when you think he's going to zag. People were thinking like he was going to trade for more picks. I actually think he'll use some of these picks and maybe try to get something, maybe use the Collins contract um, and attach a couple of picks to it and try to get an impact guy. Would not surprise me. I see you, Danny Ainge. Number 15 is Indiana. They are 23 and 17 and just made the big trade. Pascal Siakam. They traded Bruce Brown, who I thought played pretty well for them. And three first-round picks, two were this year. They're, neither of them is going to be an impactful pick. The 26 unprotected might be. Um, the question is, like, why do you do this? Why not just sign them in free agency? Well, the new NBA, you can only have two max contracts per team, basically. So they're saying, we want to use it. We have Halliburton, who's one of the best guards in the league. We have a really fun team to watch. We can upgrade from Bruce Brown to Siakam. And who else is going to pay Siakam $50 million a year? I, I think what's changed is in the old days, it's like, all right, big threes, big threes, big threes, big cities, big, the biggest teams getting the best guys. And now it's like there's 60 max contract spots, basically. Every team has two of them, including some of these teams that you wouldn't really pinpoint as being destination places. So Indiana's like, yeah. We'll trade for Siakam and we're going to be able to re-sign him because where the hell else is he going to go? Um, listen, he's a 23 and 7 and 5 guy for the last five years. He's durable. He plays 36 minutes a game. I had him, we did the Ringer 100. I think I had him 60th just because I think I was holding against him if he's the best player in Toronto and they're nine games under 500, that's his fault. And that's the thing with Siakam. If he's your best guy, you're going to go 16 and 25. But if he's your second best guy, and he's playing with Halliburton. I like that for him. When was the last time we saw him with like a real point guard, like a slash and kick? It's like Kyle Lowry 30 pounds ago. So I like the trade for Indiana a little more than than some people. Like I saw Haral Bob on Twitter, wasn't a fan. Um, I don't really care about the picks. 
The 26, maybe I care a little bit. I don't care about the picks this year. And Bruce Brown was, you know, he had a player option and could get out of there anyway. So I like the thought of, we care about Halliburton. We care about what we're building here. Let's go get a real guy. So they did. Um, I like the trade more for Toronto though, just for the record. Number 14, Sacramento. They're 23 and 17 and they're oozing some sort of panic trade vibe. They're one of those teams that they can have an awesome game against somebody but you feel like they're going to lose in the last two minutes. Like the Phoenix comeback the other day was a perfect example. They're also like Kevin Herter. You're making 16 million a year. Like are, are you good or you're not good? Are you an eighth man or are you like a fourth man? What are you? Harrison Barnes, why are you making 17, 18, 19 for the next three years? Are you like a ninth man? Uh, Davion Mitchell, we spent a top 10 pick on you. Are you playable? It just feels like a trade where maybe they get one more big guy. Maybe they go get, like, they find Alex Caruso. But uh, that's a wait and see team for me. I want to see what their trade is. But when I say panic trade, dumb trade, sometimes the worst trades are made by the teams that feel like they're a little closer than they are. And I, to me, even if they added one more really good guy to this team, I still would not put them in the top four in the West. So I'd be careful, Sacramento. Number 13 is Phoenix. They're finally starting to look relatively Phoenixy. I don't understand KD's clutch stuff at all. Like his clutch numbers are abominable. 36%, 27% from three. Um, and it's been one of the reasons their record isn't better. And I don't know whether that he's just hitting a different point in his career or maybe the team around him, not awesome. What's crazy is they're getting this insane Grayson Allen year. Um, and they've gotten pretty fairly healthy Nurkic, like certainly more healthy than I thought he was going to be. And they're still 22 and 18. So I think for them, I want to see what happens in the next three weeks. You could tell me they're going to be 30 and 19 in nine games, and I'd believe it. You could tell me they could be 26 and 26 in 11 games, and I'd believe it. We will see. I have no real interesting thoughts on Phoenix other than we will see. Next one, uh, next category, maybe one move away. The New York Knicks, they are now 24 and 17. I love the Ananobi trade for them. And it was one of those, I thought they won the trade when they made it just because they got the best guy in it. But when you watched it for like two games, you're like, oh my God, they totally won this trade. And what's cool about him, first of all, you're putting him with this, this crowd that's really going to appreciate what he brings to the table. So you're getting the best possible version of him. Right, he's gonna be like not only playing for a new contract, which they probably agreed to already, but um, he's showing off for the new fans. But the flexibility he gives them, like let's say they play Philly in round one, right? Let's say it's like the three six matchup, Philly versus the Knicks. Ananobi is the kind of guy you want to put on Embiid. People always think you guard Embiid with centers. You want to put somebody smaller on him who's strong, who can get up in his chest. Like the way Denver was playing him the other night was it was kind of stupid. It didn't make sense to me. You want, like, the Celtics will throw Drew Holiday on him. They'll throw Jalen Brown at him. They'll throw Tatum at him. Um, and then they'll throw Horford at him, and they'll give him different looks. Ananobi is somebody that could guard literally everybody in the Sixers. Um, and then they play Boston, same thing. So that trade was just a home run for them. A uh, really good one. And they still feel like one move away. I'll be interested to see if they can attach Randall and picks to anything. would be kind of the home run swing for them. Number 11 is Cleveland for me. They're 24 and 15. They've won five straight. And then you look a little closer and it's like, oh, they beat Washington, Washington, San Antonio, and Brooklyn, and Chicago. Congratulations. 
They're one in five against the Celts, Bucks, and OKC in Denver. Not great. But they've also, they're nine and three without Mobley and without Garland. And it is interesting that Garland goes out and it solves some of the Mitchell Garland stuff that I think we've all seen last season and this season. And um, just keeping an eye on that team. Because it's clear they have redundancies and, and maybe one too many guys and they just feel two for one-ish to me from a trade standpoint. 24 and 15 though, I would not, that's one of those where you look at the standings, you're like, wait, what? Cleveland's 24 and 15. I certainly don't feel like they're a threat. New Orleans is, they have 25 wins. They're number 10 on my list. Their net rating is up to plus 4.7. And there are certain games, if you catch them on the right night, where they just have too much size and they just seem really big and overpowering. And you're like, holy shit, New Orleans. And then you could catch them two days later and they lose by 20 and they look completely discombobulated. Um, this team's a work in progress. All of it's going to hinge on Zion. And where is he in April? Is he healthy? Is he relatively in shape? Um, I don't know. I don't even know what the trade is for them. We did this last time. It's like, what do they need? They have talent at every position. I don't know what the move is. They sh it should probably be a three for one for somebody, but I don't know who the one is. And it's not like they're going to win the title this year. So I'd probably not do anything with that team. Dallas is the one. They're 24 and 17. They got half of a completely normal Kyrie season. Shout out to Kyrie. We all like watching him play basketball and we had no drama from you for three months. I loved it. They need to make a trade. I was wondering if this is a Bruce Brown team, maybe somebody bigger, but one guy short. I don't know if the Grant Williams thing has worked out for them. I wonder if that's somebody they would move on before the deadline. Um, sometimes he won't even play that many minutes, but um, this is a team you would not want to see in a playoff series. And it's also a team that could get swept 4-0 in a playoff series. But um, I think from a Kyrie standpoint, I had not liked the signing, did not agree with it. And at least so far, it's been okay. With that said, next week, he could give some interview and it could completely fall apart. But um, they're, I wouldn't call them a contender, but they're on the fringe and they're at least a, I'm not crazy about seeing Luka and Kyrie in a playoff series team. So that's a, a victory. And they also proved to us that tanking still works because they ended up with Derek Lively. They made us all mad last April, including me. And it ended up with, uh, with that Derek Lively pick. So there you go. Next category, the veterans, Milwaukee. Um, look, they can't guard anybody. And um, you look at their defensive rating, which is 19th right now. That is a recipe for disaster in the playoffs. And you could go through any season. Find me a team that was 19th in defensive rating that won three straight rounds, much less four. Giannis is plus 14 and a half on off. I just want to mention that. You felt it last night. They got killed. It feels like he has a bigger burden than ever before with this team. Because Dame, Dame's stats are good, but he has nights where he just doesn't have it. And Giannis, night after night, who really feels like He's got an extra FU to him this year. I don't know what, what it stems from, but um, I just can't take them seriously with the defense. So we'll see if they can fix it. Middleton looks better. They got more to Beasley than I think they could have ever expected. Crowder came back, but um, I'm just dubious. Yeah, I know they beat the Celtics last week. I get it. I get it. They came out. Celtics were coming off an OT game against Minnesota. Milwaukee shot the lights out. The Celtics packed it at halftime. I'm not going to overreact to that one if that's okay. Number seven, Miami, which is too high. But as you know, I'm terrified of Miami at all times. And actually, 
you could really pick apart Miami. Miami's 24 and 17. They're 9 and 0 in their crappy division. They're in like the worst division of all time. So if they what not for their division, they are 15 and 17. Not great. Hakez, so he's been playing like 34 minutes a game for 10 weeks, basically. And let's say he he finishes at 32 minutes a game for the season. He's hurt right now, but when he comes back. He's shooting over 60% true shooting as a rookie. So I went, I went on a basketball reference and I was like, how many guys have done this? How many guys have played 32 minutes a game and shot 60% true shooting as a rookie? And it was four guys. Adrian Dantley, Hall of Famer. Bill Cartwright, uh, multiple-time champion and uh, top three pick in the draft. Buck Williams, who was awesome. I can't remember if he's in the Hall of Fame or not, but he was one of the best power forwards of the 80s. And Magic Johnson. Those are the four guys ever who have done that. This hot cast thing kills me. I love watching him. I can't believe he's on Miami. It makes me so mad. If you wanted to drop that to 30 minutes a game, you could add Jalen Williams and DeAndre Ayton to that. Um, but that's how good Hawkes has been. And if you watch Miami, they're, they, they're just getting more and more comfortable running the offense through him. The problem for them is Kyle Lowry, who in his last 10 games, he's down to 5.4 points a game in his last 10 games, shooting 41%, 28% from three. He's playing 24 minutes a game for them and just looks like he's run out of gas. I know he hurt his hand, but uh, expiring contract just feels like a trade. There's been some Rogier buzz with them. It makes a ton of sense. Rogier seems is just a classic, classic, classic Miami guy. Plus, he's been in some, some big playoff games. He's playing well this year. Maybe it's something like Lowry and uh, Nikola Jovic for a 27 unprotected first and Rogier and Book Knight. Maybe they try to get Nick Richards too, which I would encourage them to do because I like Nick Richards, but maybe you add it. Maybe now it's like a protected second first, but feels like there's a Charlotte-Miami trade there. And if they can turn Lowry into Rogier somehow, that's, to me, that's the move. Um, their assets, they have their first this year. They owe one of two first next two years. Then they own their own first for the next four. So they're doing something. I, if I'm Miami, I, I feel like I can make the finals. So I'm making trades. Last category, the contenders, Oklahoma City. I saw them in person against the Clippers. And uh, it, was, it was the worst possible check game. It made me so sad. I was so, I'd never seen them in person. I was so excited. And they'd played the Lakers the night before. And it was one of those games. It was like the game Mike Evans had in the play. It was just like he had five thumbs. He, he just, you could see his confidence was gone. The Clippers were banging him. Tice was like jumping over his back for rebounds. It was, it was just really bad. So Chet, let's have, let's have a second date. Let's have, give me a mulligan on that one and maybe uh, look like Chet in the next game. Cause he's been really good this year. I have him as rookie of the year. Um, but it did illuminate that they have no protection for him at all. If he's going to look like a rookie, you know, they're going to have a playoff series in round one, round two, or round three, where it's game four and Chet just looks like a rookie and he sucks. You can't then bring in the other Jalen Williams as your backup. You need a real center. They have to get Claxton, Jakob Pertl, Clint Capella, even Nick Richards, Isaiah Stewart from the Pistons. They have to get protection for that dude. If they, they, with all the picks they have, if they do nothing heading into this trade deadline and like we like our guys, like that's actually irresponsible. So I fully expect them to do something. SGA, by the way, plus 12.9 on off. And, uh, and, 
I actually thought Costa in the Lakers and Clippers games, I don't know if you watched the fourth quarters, but um, was missing shots he almost always makes. He didn't seem 100% healthy to me. Um, but there was that one play, he beat Kawhi off the dribble and Kawhi kind of timed it and then had the old Kawhi leap and stuffed it. And it was the best play I've seen in person this year. I thought it was one of the best plays of the season. Nobody blocks Shea on that drive. Um, he has all these different looks. Like sometimes he'll go to the right and then he'll drive with his left hand. So he goes into the guy. So he also gets fouled. He does stuff on his drives that nobody's doing. And Kawhi fucking, not only did he block it, but he kept it in bounds and started a fast break. It was incredible. Uh, that game was absolutely, that game was so good. I drove home and I did a, I did a short while driving in my car and almost veered into another lane. Anyway, number five, Minnesota. They're 29 and 11. I have them slightly over OKC just because I, I just think Minnesota, if they played in a series, Minnesota would just have too much size over seven games. Um, defensive rating first, net rating fourth. I was thinking really fascinating moment for Carl Anthony Towns. So he's 22 and nine this year. He's 51, 42, 89 percentages. So he's basically a 50, 40, 90 guy. Usage rates down in the 26 range. True shootings around 63. This season's been a big win for Towns. Like they played that, that awesome game against the Celtics last week, which was one of the best games of the year. And I kept waiting for Towns to do his usual dumb town shit and pick up a foul 25 feet from the basket or throw the ball out of bounds or do all the like low hoops IQ stuff that he used to do in big games. And he just didn't. He was good. I, 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 I feel like maybe he's figured it out. And if I had to psychoanalyze it, maybe having Edwards just clearly be the alpha on this team maybe set things into place for him because he's really a number two. We always knew he was a number two. Um, but the the Edwards being a franchise guy so quickly has has been, you know, for nine different reasons, the best things that ever happened to Towns. So I was thinking, I had Towns, if you separate all the number one picks since Tim Duncan and you separate it by yes, maybe, or no, like, would you do it again? Yes. Would you do it again? Maybe. Or just no. Um, there's been 10 yes guys, Wemby, Paolo, Edwards, AD, Kyrie, Blake Griffin, Derek Rose. He's in there. I don't care that he got hurt. He was, that was a great pick. Dwight Howard, LeBron, and Yao. You, you do Yao again. So 10 yeses. I've eight no's. DeAndre Ayton, who I think was a maybe until this year and even I'm out. I, I've sold my Aiton stock. I divested. Aiton, Fultz, Ben Simmons, Anthony Bennett, Greg Oden, Bargnani, Kwame Brown, Olawa Candy. That's eight. So I got 10 yeses and eight noes. And then there's eight guys in the middle. And some of these guys have retired and I'm still not sure. So I'm putting them in the maybes. Cade, Zion, Towns, Wiggins, who might be veering toward the no. I mean, he did help the Warriors win the finals. Bogut, I stand by Bogut. That dude rebounded. He set great picks. He had some bad luck. He had bad luck injuries, like he broke his elbow that time. Bogut's almost a yes to me, but I put him in the maybe. Kenyon Martin, who's a borderline yes, but didn't quite get there. And uh, that Denver contract he signed was abysmal. And then Elton Brand, who I think was on course to be a yes, but then he got hurt. 
Towns has a chance to be a yes, is my point. Right now he's maybe, he's in with Cade and he's with Zion and Wiggins and Wall and Bogan and Kmart and Brand. There's some Wizards fans out there. It's like, John Wall's a yes. No, he wasn't. Um, Towns has a chance to play off that list and actually go into the yes list of, I'm so glad we took that guy with the number one pick. So that's the moment for you, Carl Anthony Towns. You're in your late 20s. You've been in the league for a while. It's never going to look better than right now. Number four, Philly, 26 and 13. Embiid, um, look, I'm glad you had another great game against Denver at home. Can you play in Denver this year? Can you do that? That's all I'm asking. Just do it in Denver. Let's see that. Um, Embiid's been the best scoring whatever in the in the league, and he's, you know, one of the best scoring centers ever. And this team is really good, but they still need more. They have all these expirings. This, to me, seems like the most logical Bruce Brown team. It's a very logical Bogdanovich team. Um, and they had the Marcus Morris at 17 million. They have Covington at 11. They have some other stuff they could package together. They could get frisky with Tobias Harris if they wanted to. I wouldn't. But um, they have they could add at least two people. And maybe it's Bruce Brown and Caruso. Maybe it's Bogdanovich and Caruso. But this team has a chance to win a title. And you know who's never won a title? Not just Joe Embiid. Daryl Morey. I, I, think, I think he's going all in on this one. That would be my guess. Number three, LA Clippers, 26 and 14. I did a short on my YouTube channel about this because I was driving home from that OKC game and I was like, oh my God. Like they literally looked like a finals team. I think Denver's going to make the finals, but this was a team, the team I watched the other night is a team that could play in the finals. The unselfishness, they got good shots over and over and over again. Kawhi guarded Shea down the stretch when they needed a couple stops. And they were always, even if even if he got switches, they were still able to defend him. Um, Tice and Plumley, like, not awful. They just need guys to set picks and bang bodies and have their hands around the rim. And then Zubach is coming back in a couple weeks. But the crazy thing to me about this team, I thought when they made this trade, I thought it was one of the dumbest trades, even for the Clippers um, in their history. Uh, was not as hard and just seemed like he was past his prime. They're betting on three older veterans to just figure out on the fly how to coexist and make each other better. And all of the history of the NBA said that this was not going to work. And yet so far, it's worked incredibly well. And it's And I've been to a couple of the games now and I'm just like, this works. I don't know what else to say. The shocking part is the usage, right? So. Harden was 25 usage last year. He's 20 this year. It's a pretty big concession for him. George goes down 29.5 to 27.2, and Kawhi goes down 27 to 25.9. And usually when guys are sacrificing stuff, their stats are going to w- look worse, or they're, they're going to have a little problem, kind of like what's happening in Westbrook. All of their percentages, Harden's at 45, 42, 87. George is 47, 42, 91. Kawhi's at 52, 44, 88. These guys have gotten better by having the ball less. And when you watch them in person, it makes sense because Harden is like traffic hopping out there. He's just like the ball's flying around. He's, he's, it's the complete opposite of how he used to play. Um, no, the ball doesn't really stick with anybody. I thought it was going to be a lot of iso ball stuff and it's just not. Um, but I was thinking about like sacrifice guys over the years that actually won titles. 
So you're going way back to like Earl Monroe in the 1973 Knicks, who could have scored 28 points a game, but really gave up stuff to play in that team and fit in. Robert Parrish was like that on the Celtics. Rashid was like that in 2004 on the Pistons. Ray Allen in 2008 on the Celtics is an unbelievable example. Like he gave up, I would say, eight shots a game. Chris Bosh on Miami, Kevin Love on Cleveland in 2016. These guys, I'm kind of buying it. It feels like they're giving up stats and and possessions because they see some sort of greater good. It's to me the biggest surprise that's happened in the NBA in the last couple of years. The team makes sense together. Now, could it go sideways tomorrow? Could somebody get hurt? Of course. And somebody probably will get hurt because it's three older players, but they really play well together. I, I got to say, this is the most fun Clipper team they've ever had. And um, I am somebody who hated watching James Harden play basketball. I really like watching him play this year. What's happening to me? Last category, the favorites. Denver is uh, number two, and then the Celtics at number one. Um, the Celtics are 20-0 at home now. This this is starting to matter, right? The the oh, I get to bring in the eighty six Celtics. They went fifty and one. They went forty and one that season and got their ass kicked by Portland. The only game, I think now we're in the twenties. I think this is a streak that's going to matter. They're still being really careful. They're resting guys. They have to be careful with Porzingis. They need nine weeks out of Porzingis. They need to get Horford there. They need to make sure Tatum doesn't play three thousand minutes. So they're going to do some stuff. But what they've done and the way Missoula has kind of sack guys, put people in. He keeps the infrastructure of whatever the team is, no matter who's in or out. And it's kind of working. Like they beat, they rested White and um, Porzingis yesterday against San Antonio. Not, I mean, you're going to beat San Antonio, but the team never, even if guys are missing, the team still feels like it plays the same way. The two big things from a Celtic standpoint from the last two weeks that, really make me feel like they're getting it is I mentioned before when Tatum guarded Shade on the stretch in that OKC game. I don't think he would have done that a year ago. I think he wanted to go mano a mano with them. I think he's understanding like, hey, in this game, we need my defense and my rebounding as much as my scoring. And then what Jalen did in the Minnesota game last week was awesome. He uh, he rebounded, he played defense, he picked his spots. I thought that was one of the best games he's ever played. And I just think this team is really close and really likes each other. And you even see there was an airplane photo the other day. They took this photo of them in the airplane. They're all in there. And it's just, it's a tight team. It's going to be interesting to see if they even do anything at the trade deadline. Because sometimes when you when you strike oil with a combination of guys, you don't want to fuck with it at all. I still feel like they need a bigger guard um, on those Pritchard nights when the uh, opponent is long and tough. But um, the Celtics team, this is the best chance they've had to win a title since 2009. And I know they're in the finals of 22, but that team, I always felt like it was a year too early for them. This team is excellent. And Porzingis is the X factor because he's, he's the cheat code. He's the superpower of the team. So we'll see if he can stay healthy. Last but not least, Adam Silver. I usually grade him at the end of the power poll. Um, nothing's really happened with him. Oh, thumbs up because he gave the Clippers the 2026 All-Star Game. Thank you, Adam Silver. You're on my good list this week. All right, that's it for the Power Poll. We're going to bring in uh, Peter Schrager. All right, Peter Schrager is here. We did well last week with Million Dollar Picks, but I just did a whole basketball thing. You said you went to see Paolo against the Knicks this week, and you were impressed by Paolo. 
Dude, I we went Martin Luther King Day. I, I, my son was off from school. We went three o'clock start, perfect. Mostly kids and diehard Knicks fans. Um, and I, every time the Knicks, Knicks were up 10 in the third, every time the Knicks started to make a little push in the fourth when the Magic came back, this guy, Benchero, just put them down. And I, he was special in person. Big body, can do it from inside and outside. And he was clutch. He was closing it with, you know, big shots, but also free throws at the end. That guy's a star. It's the first time I've seen him in person. I didn't obviously go see him at Duke or anything. Yeah, I probably should have mentioned in the, because we I just did that power poll. I kind of skipped over Orlando because I'm not sure what their goals are. But the Palo thing is the subplot to watch. Like, Sarudi, before you came on, who's a big <laughs> Magic fan, it was like, it's like I I don't want to jinx it, but they they there's moments where he looks a little LeBronish, and it is like his size and speed and physicality. It is when he when he's going to the basket, he's getting in the basket, he's getting the shot he wants. And I remember in college, it was like they were an undermanned team, and I think they beat Texas Tech in the tournament, and everyone was like Duke's done, and like he carried them as a freshman. Yeah. I, I really like his game. I love talking NBA with you. That's a thrill. All right, that was that was great. I'm glad we got that <laughs> out of the out of the books. Before we get to the round two games, I have some lingering questions from round one. Yeah. Did the right team win Rams-Lions? I'm still four days later wondering if the right team prevailed. I texted you during that game. I know you've got a million text chains. I texted you the most pure, just childlike text. I said, this is a really great game. Like I didn't want it to end. And you wrote back, yeah. like, this is fun. It was such a good game. Uh, I think it's fine. I mean, you can go through a million things now. Here's the truth of it. There were a couple of calls that weren't thrown, uh, flags that weren't thrown, but they weren't thrown either way. Like, yeah. yes, Nakua was being held. And yes, uh, the Stafford stuff, you could have called a late hit or you could have called a roughing or something. But I think for the most part, um, it, it was it was called evenly in that they kept the flags away. And then when Goff had to make the plays at the end, he made the plays. He had the completion to him on Ross St. Brown. So uh, just an awesome game. I spoke to McVay for a long time this week. Like he's in this weird phase where it was like three days after the game. I mean, it was still the wound was still open, and he thought this team had it this year. Like they could have really yeah. gone on a run. But in the same breath, being like, you know, that team is really physical. They're really good, and if we're gonna lose a game, like that, those guys, they're pretty worthy opponents. So uh, I, I think the right team won. I think the Lions had the home field. They earned the home field, and that was a pretty cool deal that took place in Detroit on uh, Sunday night. I've landed in the, I'm not sure the right team won, but looking at the Lions-Bucks game, so it goes one of two ways. It's like, ah, they should, probably shouldn't have beaten the Rams. Like that, like they had a lot of stuff go their way. Or the Rams were really good and that was a great win by the Lions. And I think that's where I've landed with the Bucks game. The I actually think that win against the Rams was an awesome win. And the but like the line in this Lions game is minus six and a half. I was listening to the East Coast bias guys today. All of them were like Tampa. They like Tampa. Really? Like they think they keep it close. And I'm like, Jesus, I feel the opposite. I I thought Detroit answered a lot of questions for me. For, first of all, home field advantage was great. Oh, Second massive. of all, super duper physical. Third, their line held up, right? And I think Goff's yes. going to have even, you know, he, 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 had, he played Minnesota twice against the Blitz this year. If Tampa sends the house like they did against Hurts, he'll, he knows how to navigate that stuff now. But that team had a swagger. Mm-hmm. They, they, I thought, hit the shit out of the Rams that whole game. And I'm Dude. not sold on Baker, who seems like he's banged up in a bunch <laughs> of ways. They're going to be hitting the shit out of him. Um, I just like the spot for them. Look, take it, take it from a different viewpoint of what could have gone wrong. All right, so the crowd is in such a tizzy. It's their first tizzy. Great word. It's their first home game, obviously, in all these years. 
And how does Goff respond? 14 of 14 out of the gates, just marching right up and down the field. Now, of course, at halftime, Sean and Raheem make their adjustments. They start stifling. But then Aaron Glenn makes his adjustments and the yep. Rams offense starts uh, uh, you know, having some issues here and there. So I thought they answered every question we had. Goff was not electric in the second half, but when they needed him most, he made the plays. At, well, that you know, was the, the Raheem Morris. Like, what did he do at halftime? Because right. it felt like he took out the run completely. They all of a sudden they couldn't run the ball anymore. I was worried because I came on this podcast and I'm like, you know, last week, I'm like, hey, Raheem Morris is going to make a statement. This is going to be the Ramsey. And it was 21 he points did. out of the he game. He did a good job. And then he did a great job afterwards. He's, uh, he's going through some interviews right now. He's interviewing with about five different teams. But back to Baker, he had a uh, press availability yesterday. It was like a small comment, but it was interesting. He says he's still really close with a lot of those Rams fans, uh, those Rams players from last year. Remember, he finished the season yeah. with them. And they all said... It was the loudest building they have ever played in in Detroit. And they're going to bring it again. That's real. That stuff's real. And uh, Tampa's, Tampa's good. I, I just think Detroit's dialed in. And this has, this has a feeling of not necessarily team of destiny, but team that's not going to wilt from the moment. It certainly worked out for them that they don't have to go to Dallas after all the shenanigans last month. But isn't that, in car- isn't that karma in a little bit of a way? Like we go down. Yeah. They, Ball don't they, lie. They take the high road. Remember, they didn't bitch about it. They didn't moan about it. Us in the media were saying all sorts of stuff. You know, they took their pain. They took their pound of of, of just you know of fury. They kept it in. And I think what uh, Dan Campbell called it was pure, like canned octane, something like that. Like he made some like strange like combination of words that just meant like just bring it and keep it internal. And when you do that and you take the high road, like things sometimes work out. And in this case, they didn't complain. They didn't pitch. They didn't come off as, as guys who were, were so furious at the league. Instead, they just went about their business. They took care of business. And now they've got the home game. You could make a case the Rams were the fourth best team in the league. Yeah, they're, they're, You take, like, take the Niners and Ravens out of it. Right, so, Lions. Uh, and like that, the case would be the Lions and Rams were the third and fourth best teams in the league, better than anyone in the AFC. Like, I, yeah. I think it's a case. I agree. And the way they're, they were both playing. Um, and I just, I don't know Nakua. I've never met him. I've never done a Rams game this year. I never, I wasn't at camp. Like I speak to Sean. I also speak to Mike LaFleur this week. I had him on my podcast. Who's the offensive coordinator. Like the way they talk about this guy. Yeah. He's about everything is the right stuff, whether it be humility, but also toughness. And you see the hits he takes and he gets up and it's like he is everything they want. And you see Stafford and how the hits he takes and gets up. Like the toughness is through the roof. So to get a win when Nakua has nine catches for 182 and a touchdown on 10 targets for Detroit to be able to eliminate that and what they had going on with Stafford and Nakua, that was it's a major, major win for the Lions. Plus, Cooper Cup was out. Oh, no, he played. Yeah. What uh, five five for twenty? It, it didn't look like the Cooper Cup we were used to. This he whole hasn't season. looked like that all season. No, um, and they had that. They had that one in the first quarter where yeah. Stafford throws it in the end zone. There seems to be like a little miscommunication. That would have been a nice one. I know. I, I don't think Cup was one hundred percent healthy. I think he was gritting it out too. But like Nakua was the number one this season. I don't think anyone would argue that. He reminds me. Nakua reminds me of one of those wrestlers. Now we're talking about teams that aren't even in the playoffs. But like one of those wrestlers <laughs> who just has awesome matches and takes all these bumps, and you're like, oh my god. How's that guy still? He's like Kenny Omega. It's like, oh, and, and then he just threw like the best block on that run play. And oh my God, he just got hit over the middle again. It's it's nuts. Um, Lions. So that was a nice little tester, right? Yeah. All right. We 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 kind of looked our mortality in there. We got three red zone stops. 
Um, we scored 24 points. Now we played this Bucks team. One of the reasons I like the Lions in this game, you know, the Bucks look good coming off last week. That Philly team was mm. a disaster, you know, and it, that game was 16 to nine. And the Eagles were hanging around and they didn't even want to hang around. They wanted to like get out of there for the season, it felt like. But the Bucs were letting them hang around because I don't think the Bucs are that good. That was the Eagles team. I don't know if they were beating anybody on Monday night. No. I don't know, well, I don't have know you ever they... seen have you ever seen the hit piece come out before the game? No, you guys I feel like they made it. history. You, yeah. You and Sal had it. And then this week, like I could tell you, Sirianni's meeting with you know, Jeffrey Laurie and Howie Roseman. And like, I think the plan is to like present here will be my new coordinators who are going to be from the outside and I'm going to present yeah. these and like, here's how I'm going to be able to secure them. And it's, it's not good. And, you know, Fletcher Cox called local reporter a clown yesterday for asking about Sirianni's future. Like it's still not good. And I, that Eagles team was like, they limped into the game and then they quietly limped out of the game. And I go back to what I said, you know, last week, they fired a defensive coordinator when they were 10 and one. And you could say he wasn't yeah. fired technically, but like, you don't tell me that, that that was a sense of panic. That was a desperation move at 10 and one. And maybe that was the move that was supposedly going to, you know, galvanize and kickstart and look at what happened in Buffalo. They get rid of Dorsey and they don't lose since Joe Brady gets in there, but it didn't do that. To me, it was a sign of the pressure, the panic. And it's funny, you know, when, when, when Howie had that draft and everyone was talking about, oh my God, they got Jalen Carter and oh my God, they got Keely Ringo and oh my gosh, how did they get Nolan Smith? I said on the air that there were people around the league who had had just about enough of me on NFL Network and everyone else talking about the Eagles draft for three days and Eagles fans went with it and they said, you know, okay, Schrager, like relax, it's not about you. It's not about anybody. It's just that this is a moment we're enjoying because we feel like we got a lot of good players and da da da. Yeah. Jordan Davis kind of didn't have it in the end there. Jalen Carter, not really a non-factor for two Nolan months. Smith, yeah. Not there. Keely Ringo, not there. So like we could talk about the draft and the big names and all this stuff, but you know, you're watching that Tampa team with Trey Palmer and Kalijah Kansi and Yaya Diaby. And yeah, it, it just because they're the biggest names on draft day, sometimes those aren't going to be the guys necessarily in the biggest moments. And it's going to be the, the late round picks that are going to be the ones that are going to carry across the finish line. Philly was dying to roll over in that first half. What was it, like 10 nothing, And they were just kind of lying there waiting to be pinned. <laughs> Tampa wouldn't let them. <laughs> yeah, the Bucks had a couple big drops and they just let it, and all of a sudden it was 16-9 and they're punting to the Eagles and it just felt like, oh my God, are the Eagles going to steal this? Like, I, I was nervous for my uh, my Bucks bets. But um, yeah, I, I think that has to be fire, factored in the Lions game. The question is, can the Lions cover the six and a half or do you just put them in a tease, which looks like the most obvious tease ever? But it makes me feel good that there's some there's some Bucks people out there. There's a couple manifesto rules on this. One is um, beware of the nobody believes in us team, but don't mm -hmm. try to talk yourself into one either. Do you feel a nobody believes in us sense from the Bucks or not really? Not really. I yeah, think I don't feel it either. I think they also have... And I don't have the exact number, but between all the veterans we mentioned last week with Godwin and Evans and Shaq Barrett and Devin White and Levi, like, got yeah, a ton they of guys some, who won a Super Bowl. Like, right, they have some not, hardware. Yeah, that's not. Then rule number 15, make sure the team with a home field advantage actually has a home field advantage. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, the Lions definitely answered that one. And then the last one um, is just beware of the team that looked awesome last week. Don't yeah. get too excited. And Tampa, I think that I think that win had a lot more to do with the Eagles than it did uh, the Tampa Bucks. Even though they, the played, Tampa, they played fine yeah, that game. They Baker played was great. good. 
Baker was Baker good. Was and good. Palmer and David Moore had two big runs after the catch. And uh, I think the pass rush was really good. And especially with the young guys all over the field, I'll say this, you know, Dave Canales, who's the offensive coordinator in Tampa, who I believe today or tomorrow is interviewing with the Carolina Panthers for their head coaching job. Like this guy's been tremendous with what they've got and what they've been doing. I, I don't know if they have the weapons or they have the amount of guys to keep up with what Detroit has on offense. And I think, yeah. I think Detroit, like Laporta played, we were talking that was going to be a big X factor. Not only did he play on fourth and one, he made the biggest play of the game with the touchdown catch. And when you're seeing guys like Josh Reynolds making plays all over the place, like this Ben Johnson's dialed in. I, I feel yeah. like this is going to be Detroit in a, I, I've got Detroit winning big. Well, I was going to say if, if you had to pick a blowout, because we always have one blowout in round two, what's the blowout game? Even though it's not, they're two lines higher than Lions. I think this one has the most blowout potential. Where we're like, oh my God, Tampa, why didn't we see it? Um, anyway, I'm leaning toward the Lions straight up, but it, the T seems great to me. The just, other one. Just a quick analysis, if I can, of the situation. The four NFC quarterbacks remaining right now are Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Jordan Love, and Brock Purdy. And one of these two teams, Detroit and Tampa Bay are going to be in the NFC championship game. Sometimes yeah. you just take a pause and be like, that's awesome. Uh, I did. I, I, I got to give a little spiel on like what Detroit has that maybe other teams are questing for or looking for. When they start rebuilding this thing a couple of years ago, one of the first hires they made before Brad Holmes and before obviously Dan Campbell and the trade for Jared Goff, they hired... Chris Spielman and a guy named Mike Disner. Chris Spielman, obviously, longtime Lions linebacker, had a really good job at Fox. The ownership group and Rod Wood, who's the president, called him and said, listen, you're not the general manager. You're not the team president. But we need you just to be here in the building and kind of give us some guidance to be the liaison between the players. And Chris I, he called me because I was his sideline reporter on Fox. He's like, what do you think of this opportunity? I think, I, I'm like, if you want to do it, this is the time. And their interview process of head coaches was fascinating. And one of the reasons they hired Dan Campbell and they loved it is because Dan Campbell's message to them, and I don't know if this is like lip service or not, is I don't necessarily want to be an NFL head coach anywhere. I like what I'm doing in New Orleans. And at the time, he was still with Sean Payton. He's like, I want to be the Detroit Lions head coach. I want hmm. to be the guy who can build this thing up from the ashes. And for Spielman to leave a well-paying, nice you know, third analyst job at Fox, for this guy, Mike Disner, who worked under Steve Kime in Arizona and worked for the Bidwells and kind of had his way of the lay of the land in Arizona, which is a nice place to live and to leave, to go to Michigan and where he was from and to work with Spielman. And then they hire Holmes and Campbell and make it like, it's almost like the bedrock of this thing is built on the right stuff. And I know that sounds corny, mm. but these aren't money grabs. These are, this wasn't a desirable place to go. And all of these guys left good jobs to come to Detroit to help build it. I love seeing it come to fruition and that win was really cool and I think they're going to keep going. How was that? They got, like that, that was good. <laughs> well, they got lucky too because Hutchinson was awesome so in that good. first playoff game and Jacksonville passed on him. Right? And then we the, watched him on Hard Knocks. The and we're like, what's guy. up with this guy? Yeah, they took yeah. the combine guy. And meanwhile, he had the biggest play of the game. That third and four gets a holding penalty and that's basically how they win. The other game Saturday night is Packers-Niners. And uh, right now the Niners are minus nine and a half. So I'm leaning hard toward the Packers on this. Okay. And it violates a lot of my rules, including I think the Niners are really good. Like I, I think every win they've had except one was double digits. I think they have the best team. 
I'm just in on this Packers team. Like you go go back and look at all their wins. Like they beat Pittsburgh by four. They beat Detroit by seven. They beat KC by eight. Beat Minnesota by 23. They beat the Bears 17-9 and, and that felt like a playoff game. Then they beat Dallas 48-32. This is all just November, December, January. And where I was looking was, all right, is there a right? Like I'm not taking an underdog unless I think they have a chance to actually win. Is there, is there a recipe for how they would win this game? Did that happen this season? Is there a doppelganger game we can look at? I went back to week eight, okay. Cincinnati 31, San Francisco 17. Burrow. Burrow, Burrow was 28 for 32, 283, three touchdowns, no picks. They ran the ball 27 for 134. They had 29 first downs, six and a half yards per play. And just kind of kind of dominated their defense, which, by the way, had Hafunga in that game. Mm-hmm. And now he's out. Um, I guess... I'm going to say, no, no Debo, no Trent Williams that game, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But okay. that has nothing to do with the defense. No, totally. I hear you. So if there's a case for the Packers, it has to be the offense. It has to be, they go in there and they move the ball and they have long drives and they make plays. And they get a couple of those 20-plus plays. And it kind of resembles that Cincy 31-point game. So the question for you, is that conceivable? Mm. Saw it against Dallas. I thought Dallas's defense was electric. I thought Micah Parsons would be all over Jordan Love and dominating Zach Tom and the rest of that offensive line. But the Packers were incredible on offense. They're 27-0 when Savage gets the pick six. I, I go back in time. It's really amazing. Mark Murphy, who's the president of the Packers and has been, you know, much the controversial lightning rod over the last few off seasons because of, you know, the decision to go and get Jordan Love and the way they've handled the Rodgers situation. He does that annual shareholder meeting, which in itself is adorable in a lot of ways and kind of cool. It's like he meets with all the Packers shareholders the one time he does media. And I went through the the interview again because I was fascinated to see what he said about Jordan Love. And he said two things, which at the time were either A, overlooked, or B, seen as slights at Rodgers. The first thing he said is, now we will finally get a chance to see Matt LaFleur's true offense. And there was a lot of eye rolls at the time. Yeah. Like, damn, like, Rodgers, like, do you really need to take another shot at Rodgers? But what he's saying is, you know, Matt LaFleur's offense is a lot like Kyle Shanahan's offense in that if you have a pure operator of the system, it is, here's option one, here's option two, go through your progressions, be at the right place, run the right route, and just hit it. Rodgers would get to the line and we would go nuts and love it. But with five seconds on the, you know, the play clock, he would call out of something, audible out of something, see something, call a hot route, make a play, improvise it on the spot. And we'd be like, that's Rodgers. He's amazing. He saw it. Now we get to see Matt's true offense and you're seeing it. The other thing he said. Well, wait, was, one other point on that. Rodgers was slow the last couple of years. Like he didn't have the same escapability and the ability to buy one, two seconds extra on a play, which is, to me, like love's greatest strength. Like oh, he, he, those the way back, he navigates and foot, yeah, the like, back foot throws or way he slides over. I, some of those plays he made against Dallas were like, those plays weren't open and they had, he had to buy an extra second or he had to, and I don't, I maneuver. thought Rogers stopped doing that. The fourth and two that he throws to Dobbs when they're already up 41 16 and Dobbs slides in between three different. Uh, yeah, defensive. like that's the quarterback. It's great. The other thing that Mark Murphy said, and I go back and I look at the transcript and I watched it one more time, is he said, they asked him, you know, what about the adjustment period? He said, it'll be the second half of the season for Jordan, just like it was for Rodgers. And true to his word, two and five, three and six, and then something clicked. And it was right around that Pittsburgh game. 
where something yeah. clicked and all of a sudden Jordan Love was dialed in. But Bill, we talked a little bit about it last week, but like there were guys that I didn't even mention on the podcast. When you see Tucker Craft and Bo Melton, Emmanuel Wilson, they're all first, second, or third year guys. They don't know any better. And Jordan Love is truly the voice of that offense, dialing mm. it up, calling it out. Like it is it's an amazing fun story to watch. It is so cool. I don't know if they can keep up with San Francisco. All that to say that. I got this from Anthony DeBundo's column this week about how since week seven, Love is third in EPA and CPOE composite. And at the same time, the 49ers defensively since week seven, 28th in rush EPA, 20th in drop back success rate, 17th in drop back EPA, and 22nd overall success rate. I think the dirty, the thing that worried me about and the reason why I didn't end up betting on the Niners when the future, when there was still some value in them to win the NFC, I don't totally trust their defense. And I do think you can throw on them. And you see Warner, like Warner's amazing. But this isn't a great Warner matchup because they have these four receivers who are just going in all these different directions. That's not yeah. like the perfect Fred Warner team to unleash the Fred Warner on. He's more like, you know, there's just other matchups that would be better for him. Um, I really feel like they can move the ball and I think the line is too high. I think the okay. line should be like Niners by seven. What is the line? What is it? It's, well, now it's nine and a half and it's probably going to get to 10 and everybody's like, they're going to roll through the Packers. They're not going to be able to stop them. That actually might be right. But I think the Packers are going to put up points too unless Love just lays an egg. But like you've been to San Francisco, you've been in that oh, in yeah. that dome. I wouldn't say it's like an amazing home field advantage. It's pretty. It's like an average football stadium. What the Santa Clara that outside like that? Yeah, that it's weird. Field. It's it's not like going yeah. into the freaking Lions Stadium. It's not candlestick. No. Yeah. Uh, no, and you know they there's the the wine and cheese crowd feel to it because it's in Santa Clara, Palo Alto, like that whole thing. It's not necessarily it's not intimidating gritty. atmosphere. No, I, I'm sensing what? a hesitation. You seem to think yeah, you're, you're afraid think to Kyle, tell me that the Niners are going to kill him. Kyle's been in the lab, dude. Like this guy's been, they've had three weeks to prepare. They're coming out there. They're healthy. Like the way he uses McCaffrey is unlike any other player. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I just, I think on a short week, like, you know, you're asking a young team to now get on the road and go from Dallas. That That's truly miracle season stuff. That's truly team of destiny stuff. I don't think there's a parallel of like a young team like this. They're the youngest team in NFL history to win a playoff game. So obviously they are the youngest team. But to go and then beat Dallas and then to go into San Francisco, that's asking a lot. I said it last week on the podcast. I think they're a year away. I'll say it again. I think they're a year away. I, I don't think they. I don't think they're the team that's going to knock off San Francisco. Also, rule number one: Beware of the looked a little too good. The previous playoff round team. They are the epitome of that. Rule number fourteen: Beware of any team that reminds you of the two thousand seven Giants. I will say one thing about the Niners: It's the two different versions of them, right? If you're going to tell me. They're going to come out. They're going to have like a 13 to three lead in the second quarter. I'm like, all right, well, that usually the game's over when that happens. But if they, if it feels more like the Bengals game, I don't think the Packers can beat them either. But I don't think it's impossible. No, like, I, I do look, think there's a scenario where they come out, they get points. Purdy throws one bad pick. The crowd gets super tense. Like there, there's a path for the Packers to hang in this game. And that, that's what I keep coming back to in my head. And can they, they put can up points? Yes. If they can do this, it's such redemption for Matt LaFleur, who has never oh my beaten, God. He's never beaten Kyle Shanahan, who's, I'm not going to say his mentor, but he worked for him for many years in many different places. And it's such a statement 
or Jordan Love. We're talking about like superstar status if he beats this team now. And he goes through Dallas, the two seed, and through the one seed. Like, but we don't need him to beat the team. Can they, can they go toe to toe with them? Can he hang? And can it be like a 30 27 type game? Or even if you're getting the nine and a half, can it be 36 to 21 and then they get like the late touchdown late to Dobbs or something? Yeah. I like the way Jones looked too last week. Yeah, something great. The running game is good. Dude, all their receivers are healthy. I think their offense, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be a shootout. All right, let's take a break and we'll talk about the other two games. Coming back, one last thing on Niners Packers. I was debating whether I wanted this to be um, a manifesto rule or not. It actually worked pretty well last week, but it was, you can't dismiss the nerd evidence when it's absolutely overwhelming. So there's some some nerd stats with this one. I just told you some of the ones about the Packers offense against the Niners defense potentially, but just like basic nerd stats. Niners are second on first down. Green Bay's defense is 23rd. The Niners are fourth on third down. Packers defense is 25th. Niners, Niners third rushing. Packers are 28th stopping the rush. Like there's, there's a path where they just ram McCaffrey down their throats. Yeah. They have they're long drives. The, they're certainly the the more physical team on both sides. I think they just they are such a dog. They talk to coaches. They're just like the Niners just kick your ass. They're so physical on the defensive line. They're so physical on the offensive line. But all those numbers you can throw out the window because the Packers are an entirely different team over the last month. True, you're right. Like defensively, about, I'm still not sure because I know they, they Dak shut shit out, the bed and shut out the, the crowd the, got the scared. First, no, I get first, it. You know, 28 minutes. AFC, yet another beware of the looked a little too good, the previous playoff round team, the uh, the Houston Texans, who killed Cleveland. Uh, they're playing the Ravens, minus nine and a half in Baltimore. So Noah Brown is now out. Yeah. So they're missing two of their best three receivers. Woods and Mechie were on the injured report this week. They also have a bunch of D-line injuries, yep. and they just seem, they played two playoff games in a row, basically. And they seem a little banged up. And meanwhile, they got this Baltimore team waiting for them. That's one of the better DVOA teams this century and has Lamar. And the only case you can make that Baltimore might suck is, oh, they'll be rusty. Or, well, Lamar in the playoffs. Yes, or the pressure is just too much. He can't have another early round exit. I'll say this. I was talking about the pressure today on the Good Morning Football. And we were talking like, who's got more pressure to win this week? Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Classic topic. We're going into it. Yeah. And uh, I got a text from somebody of like Lamar throwing snowballs at practice. They're like, yes, he's wilting under the pressure this week. And I'm like, all right. The answer is Josh Allen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is the biggest game of his life. I was the only one to say that. I'm going to both McCourty and Brant are like, well, he's already won big games. I'm like, "Mm, no, this is the time. What what big games? Uh, When? No, this is like he's in the Dominique Wilkins 1980s spot where it's like, oh, cool. You're in some fun playoff series. It's funny because I said Warren Moon on the show. I was like, you know, Warren Moon put up a ton of stats and played a lot of playoff games, but never won any of them of significance. And it was like, uh, Warren Moon's a Hall of Famer and that could be Josh Allen too. And this is the year for Josh Allen when Burrow's out injured, you're home against the Chiefs and you've got all the playoff experience over the over Lamar Jackson if that's the matchup. Like, this is the year for Josh Allen. This should be the year. That's pressure. Also, the Chiefs. 13 seconds. God. Mahomes. I can't wait for that game. Let's, talk, let's the, talk Ravens, though. Let's go Ravens. What do you want to do with Ravens? Um, 
Baltimore's best wins this year were they beat Miami by 37, they beat the Niners by 14, they beat the Rams by 7, and they beat Detroit by 32. That is an impressive collection of skeletons. I think they beat the Seahawks by 30 also. And they killed the Seahawks. At the time, was the number two seed in the NFC. Houston's best wins are basically, if you count Jacksonville, sure. They beat Tampa by two. They beat Indy by four in week 18. And they killed Cleveland last week. Um, there's the outdoors. They're fine. They're three and three. Their defense is good against the rush. That's a good sign. They're sixth against the rush this year. Not as good against the pass. Um, Baltimore's offense first against the rush. Lamar versus CJ. I get, I'm trying to figure out how do you make a case for Houston? And it would just be CJ Stroud, who's having one of the best rookie seasons, but yeah. now elevating and he wins in Baltimore and establishes himself as like, I am now a guy. Put me mm-hmm. on all of your lists. Put me with Herbert, like whoever you want. I just feel like uh, this is a whole different level of football than the last two, to play in Indianapolis and playing, you know, that Cleveland be, team where Flacco turned into a pumpkin. It's going to be 20 degrees. Baltimore's getting healthy. Mark Andrews practicing this week. They've got likely, obviously, that... The only way I think the and I hate to put the pressure of this for Ravens fans listening. The only way it's like they do this to themselves, which was kind of yeah. the case. You know, at times they they lost to the Chargers in a wild card round at home a couple of years ago. I was at that game. They lost to the Titans, of course, when Derrick Henry's throwing jump passes. You know, it's happened. They've lost these home games in recent years. It's not like they're a juggernaut at home in the playoffs. But this year does feel different. That offense feels different. Lamar seems different. And they've got 20 different free agents this year. A lot of guys who are very key players on this team. Uh, Matabu- uh, Justin Matabike, he's one of them. You've got, uh, obviously, Odell is. He was on a one-year deal. Kevin Zeitler. Jadavian Clowney, who's had this amazing resurgence. It feels like, all right, everything's clicking for this year's Ravens team. And the path is through Baltimore. I, a loss to Houston would be one of the epic Epic divisional. But we've seen losses. it year after year after year. There's a weird game, so yeah. I'm, I'm definitely wary of it. I was looking at for a bet. Baltimore wins the first half in the game minus 185. It feels like they come out on a good start. Maybe I, Stroud has some second half starts winging it. I, I love know. Baltimore in this game, and I I say this just like knowing that could be the kiss of death in a lot of ways. But I so the most obvious tease is a seven point tease. Needless to say, Joe House is all over it. Yeah, I'm sure. Ravens minus nine and a half, bring them down to two and a half. Niners bring them down to two and a half, and the Lions basically bring them to even. And the question is, who fucks that up? Which one of those three teams? I don't think it's the Ravens. I don't think so either. Houston, they won a playoff game. Oh, they won that week year. 18 game. This is like a fucking gravy. They were 3-13-1 last year and completely irrelevant. They're great right now. This is the final eight teams. Uh, also, quick, quick notes from the press release from the Ravens, guys. Jacoby Jones, honorary captain. He used to play for ooh, both teams, but I like that for the Ravens. Super Bowl hero. Halftime show. Jimmy Eat World. Come on now. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it just feels like if you told me Houston had all of their receivers, I'd be like, okay. But I find it hard to believe people can't shut down Nico Collins for three weeks in a row. He's just going to run a mock every week. Nico Collins. Yeah. We'll Brevin, see. Brevin Jordan, Dalton Schultz, John Mechie, you mentioned. They're getting contributions for everyone. It's been an awesome season. It really has. 
in case it wasn't clear to you, I really don't like the spreads this week. Like I actually might scale back for million dollar picks. Like Ravens yeah. minus nine and a half is like, ah, what do you do with that? Even yeah. you're winning the whole game and then CJ Stroud's coming down with 90 seconds left and gets the garbage time touchdown and you don't cover. Uh, I don't love the, the game that I really love is Chiefs Bills. We could talk four hours if you want. I, I, it's I love favorite. the game as a fan. Oh. I also love the Chiefs. I no. love the Chiefs. So do I. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. I love first. the Chiefs. I let's love the spot go. for them. Let's oh. do it. Um, the Bills are too banged up on defense. So hurt. And I didn't love their defense to begin with. And then like Bernard goes out. He's their best tackler. And then by midweek, it's like, oh, I might play. It's like, oh, cool. That sounds great. That guy's your best tackler. He might play. Um, I think this owning Mahomes, I mean, owning uh, Josh Allen matters to Mahomes. He would never say this. I have no evidence, but that's his rival. Yeah. It's him and Burrow. And he's, you know, he's got his whole thing with Burrow and now, and, and Allen's the other one. And Allen's never beaten him in a playoff game. And I think Mahomes wants to keep it that way, obviously. But I just think this is like a classic. If you're the best player of your generation, you win this game. Patrick came out last week against the Dolphins in negative 30 degree weather and looked awesome. Yeah. He looked the best he's looked. The Bills, like you mentioned, have, I think, eight different defensive players who didn't practice this week. Yeah. Uh, I think Mahomes is going to do what he wants on that defense if he can. But I'm telling you, watch Willie Gay, watch Drew Tranquil, underrated defensive group at linebacker. They're going to be the ones trying to stop Kincaid and Knox. Those are the guys this year. It's not, obviously not Gabe Davis, but it's, it's, it's Kincaid and Knox, and they're going to try to eat in the middle. And I think the Chiefs have the linebackers group that can keep up with them and do the job and all they need, because I think they're going to cover Rasheed Rice now as if he's a true number one. They're going to do what they do against Travis Kelsey, whether his production's down or not. Kelsey is a killer in these games, always against the Bills. He had, I think, yeah. in the 2020 AFC Championship game, I think he had 13 catches for 108 and two touchdowns. Um, they need just someone else to step up. And they didn't have Pacheco the first time they played against him. And they they just need someone else to make a couple of big plays. And I got to think someone else can step up in this game. But dude, this is all about history and legacies. And if Josh Allen can't beat Mahomes with the cards laid out the way they are right now, this is devastating for his legacy. And I think it's pretty damn cool for Mahomes is one more time getting the best of these guys in their building this time. Yeah, I thought the Warren Moon thing was a good point. Because I was there for the entire Warren Moon era and he was really fun to watch and really never came through in the biggest spots in a way that I remember now as a football fan 30 plus years later. I remember him being in some really fun games, but he always felt like he was a notch below, you know, the elite group. Allen has always been thrown into the elite group, but at some point it's like, all right, you know, he's he has he'll have the one dumb pass a game. I thought even in the Pittsburgh game, Everything goes wrong for Pittsburgh in the first half. They were moving the ball. Like yeah. they controlled they controlled the ball for like an hour and a half of that game. And Buffalo wasn't doing that much. Um the injuries, not just Bernard, Taron Johnson, um concussion, who knows yeah. if he's playing? Safety, rap, hurt, Benford, another quarterback, cornerback has the knee thing. Um Von Miller, who thou knows with him. Mahomes, eight one and one as an underdog in his career. Mm. Mm. seems relevant. Um, 
All the advanced nerd stuff, it's pretty close. All the other stats, I didn't really see any Let me advantages. Ask you, I think, but I we think did have a, a game. They played week 13, yeah. Buffalo yeah, 20, no. KC 17. And guess Bills what? won. Probably the Chiefs should have won. If Tony's not offside, there's the, yeah. maybe maybe this game's an arrowhead. Now I know they had a minute left and Bills fans have let me hear it. Two KC turnovers times. in that game too. Yeah. Look, I don't know where you stand on this. I always go to like, you know, we talk about quarterback play. Like this guy beat this guy in this game and this guy's got this many playoff wins. And if you're looking at the current quarterbacks left in the playoffs, it's Allen and Mahomes by a landslide have more wins. I think Goff might be third. Uh, yeah. You know, playoff wins, whatever it is or whatever the status. And then inevitably, a hive on Twitter or a hive on Reddit or whatever will come after me and they'll say, quarterback wins is not a stat. I think it is. I think it matters because when we look back on these players, so often we measure it by their wins more than their passing yards and by their... And like, I, for Josh's legacy and for Josh, when we look back 20 years from now, this game matters. It's the first time he's getting them in his building. They're the higher seed. They're the hotter team. I, it, it does matter, quarterback wins. In the postseason, I really do think so. And just like last week's win meant a lot for Goff, I think it yeah. really did. It meant a lot for Goff. I think this game is so big for Josh Allen because when you're on the Madden cover and you are at those celebrity golf tournaments and you're always with those guys, whether it be Brady or Rodgers or, or, or Manning, or like you like to come in with a little bit of a resume and a, Hey, I got mine too. And at some point you got to get yours. And I feel like this is, this is the year for it. And yet Mahomes and Reed, those guys are killers, man. So the counter is the 13 seconds game. He did come through in a matter. It was amazing. And then his defense killed it for him. We also lived through this 20 years ago with Manning and Brady where, and I, I was, I was having a great time because it was way more, writing a sports column was way more sticky back then. So I could do the whole uh, Tom Brady's Bill Russell and Peyton Manning's yep. Will Chamberlain and Peyton Manning's never going to come through when it matters. And it was just, it was way goofier back then to talk about sports. Um, and then what happened? Manning won in 2006. He beat Brady a bunch of times and he kind of tilted it. The difference, I guess, is that, um, you when know, you Mahomes, back, Mahomes is younger. When you look back though, and I know he beat him twice in Denver. And he beat you guys in AFC. Well, one of them, game. like, yeah, I mean, Brady the, was oh, so Daniels much better did. than him that yeah. year. Yeah. He was hitting Gronk at the end, just one play short. Yeah. Um, I think the playoff records, I think actually Manning is up 3-2 on Brady. But when you look back on it, don't you just specifically think about the few regular season games early on and then, of course, the two cold weather games up in Foxborough? Yeah. yeah. No question. And And they didn't overlap as much as they probably should have. And Manning got hurt for one year when the Pats were good. And Brady got hurt for one year when the Pats are really good, but um, but the point is the narratives can flip really fast. From what I've seen from Josh Allen this year, as spectacular as he is, he's just sloppy. And we've talked about it for four months. He he is just he'll do one or two things a game that you can't do. KC was the one making those stupid turnovers the last time they played, but um I'm I'm in on the Kelsey, maybe a little rejuvenated in the playoffs. Maybe he just wanted to get to this spot. And I thought he, even though he dropped a couple of passes, it felt like he was moving better in that last game, right? Even in the cold weather. He had a really nifty play too, where he caught the ball, they brought him down, but he stayed on his feet and spun out of it and got a couple yeah. of yards. Yeah. Look, this is, this is where they cook. And like, I, again, until you beat them, and I guess, is there a basketball analogy? Maybe 
Was there a year where everyone took the bill, the the Bulls to win? No, this, this happened. More? The, like MJ Bulls is a classic yeah. example of like you have to beat them. The Pistons eventually. kept beating them, and then people yeah. are like, "Oh, you're never going to beat them," and then they beat them, and they beat them. And, and Pistons and same with the Celtics in the '80s. The Celtics beat them, totally. but and all of a sudden the Pistons flipped it. And I'll be totally excited to talk about it on Monday morning or here on your podcast if the Bills do get that win. Until I see it, I can't pick against fifteen. I well, can't. No, and the other problem is it. This isn't the team for him. Even though this hasn't been the most awesome Chiefs season, the fact that they're this banged up on defense to me is a pretty bad omen. But at least it's home, right? They have some things in their favor. He's healthy. Yeah. And maybe he could just, maybe, so let's think about it. You're coming on seven in the morning. Yeah, good morning football. 7 a.m. NFL Network. Whatever that first segment is, it's going to be about this game. And it's the and the possibilities are Patrick Mahomes. Why did we ever doubt that guy? Oh my yep. God, we're all so stupid. We did it, and he made us all like he like. How do we not just pick this guy every year until he loses? Or the other one is Josh Allen. Wow, it happened. He did it. He, did it. he was awesome. What that play when he ran for forty yards? That third and nineteen when he ran around for five and. And Bill it becomes a Josh Allen orgasm. Yeah. yeah. And what's cool about this game is those are the only two two conversations that are going to be on at 701. It'll be that one, left one or right one. And yeah. I just think it's going to be Mahomes. I do too. Um, and, uh, and Josh Allen could throw for 380 and three touchdowns. I still think Mahomes finds a way until he doesn't. Every single time we doubt him, he does it. And as great as Josh Allen's been with his feet, and he has, he's been awesome running the ball. And you saw the 53-yard touchdown yeah. against the Steelers. Mahomes on fourth and four, 10-7, they're up. The game is kind of still in the balance with the Tyreek touch. Mahomes runs for 50 yards and gets out of bounds and moves the chains and sets them up for another score. Like, Mahomes has been able to do it, too. So, uh, you know, Pacheco didn't play the first time they played. Um, James Cook ran all over them the first time. Right. I went back and watched the first time they played this regular season. Just it's a different kind of game. And even with all that, if Tony doesn't line up off sides, who knows? And maybe this game's at Arrowhead. We didn't mention the last piece of this. Buffalo has two days less rest. Mm-hmm. They played on Monday. And played on Monday on a freaking concrete parking lot. Yeah. They, everyone said that field was just cement. Yeah. So, uh, now you're just getting your body ready. I mean, I played three sets of tennis yesterday and I could like barely roll out of bed. I'm older, Who would you compare but... your game to? Are you more like Edberg or you Bjorn or you Bajan Borg? Who you who do you compare your game to? Yesterday I would compare it to a big flaming piece of shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That I was like yesterday's work. game. Yep. Um yep. not yeah, good, huh? I got it back in the drawing board. Yeah, it just wasn't <laughs> good yesterday. How do you so, I'm picturing Bill Simmons playing tennis? Are you like slicing it gently over the or are you like a big forehand? Like how do you play? What's your no, style? No, I'm forehand dominant. Okay. Right. But I hadn't played in two weeks. It was at night. I was having trouble night. seeing. And I was, I was like, I was like, God damn Picture it. Picture you giant. The serve. trouble seeing defense. Oh, okay. opposite. I taught no. myself how to serve. It's not giant. Right. Not Goron. Yeah. Ethan even no. Just, no, I'm just, I'm ground game. Okay. Um, <laughs> two other small bets with this game. KC minus two and a half plus 150 on FanDuel. So, Buffalo's favored that what three? What are they? Buffalo's are at two and a half right now. So if you take it the flip side, that's really so yeah, interesting. Chiefs are going to win by three plus one fifty, and then you start looking at the under a little bit too. With uh, you know, are they going to score fifty five points in this game? Probably not. 
it's going to be long drives. I've had bad luck with unders. It could always be like the turnover loop or whatever, yeah, yeah. but it just feels like a 21 to 20, 23 to 20 type game. Casey Buffalo overtime. Hmm, can you imagine? By the way, what a great game that would be. <laughs> plus, I might do that just so we can root for it. Plus 1160. So almost 12 to 1 odds that this game will go into overtime. At this, night this in game, Buffalo? Oh this game God. smells like overtime. I'm Doesn't just it? looking at it. It feels overtimey. God. So I might, might put a little something down on that one too. And then the only other thing we need to figure out I think we're we're doing gonna do a FanDuel boost with um Jordan Love two plus touchdowns with something okay. else, but we're gonna announce on the Twitter. But we need some sort of same game parlay with the Lions game. Okay. So if you had to pick a lion that you feel like is gonna be really good on this weekend, who would you pick? I think this is the Jameer Gibbs game. Oh, it's the Jameer Gibbs game. I think Gibbs goes wild. I think this is Ben Johnson's interviewing for a few head coaching jobs. His name ah. is out there. Let me show you what I can do. You, you're going to go nuts on McCaffrey the day before and see how Kyle used him. Let me show you what I do with Gibbs. I'm going big on Gibbs. So Gibbs, 25 plus receiving yards. You like sure. that one? I love it. Gibbs. I'm all in on Gibbs. This is the Gibbs game. Number 26. This is the Gibbs game. Gibbs game. Gibbs, can he get to 50 plus? Can he get to 60 rushing yards? Seems I high. believe it, Bill. Sure. Okay. All right, I'll figure out something in million dollar picks. Um, <laughs> how's the weather on the East Coast? Terrible. It's like just icy. My kid called in sick from school. He's in first grade and like I caught him right away. Like he, I think he pulled the wool over our eyes. I think he's fine. Yeah, we're dealing Oh, he with did the Ferris Bueller on you? I it's think so, he did. It's so good when they become smart enough to in know how to do that. First grade? I'm like, yeah. come on. No, age six is when they start to get a little devious. Yeah. Monsters Inc. Can we see it again? Yes. Put it on again. So that's where we're at right now. But yeah, it's cold. Uh, it's nasty, but I'll tell you, football's good and that's great on the weekends. Do you have a coaching prediction before we go? I just Anything? love I love the buzz right now, and and I'm talking about uh, all these different guys for head coaching jobs. My guy Kingsbury, it was announced he's been talking to a a few different teams off the record, but he's interviewing officially for the Chicago Bears offensive coordinator gig. But there might be a couple Ooh. others, and I uh, no, see, I, it's interesting because let me tell you, he coached, he's got a lot of Pats ties. It's it. I don't think maybe I don't think he's got a relationship with Mayo, which is interesting. I was asking him about that. Maybe if they ask him, he would obviously do it. But Cliff, I think he wouldn't have a problem with speaking. As we were together in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, he was saying, "I think the ideal situation is a young quarterback and a defensive head coach, so he can kind of do his offense." And you mean like a Mike Vrabel and Drake May combination? Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds good. Uh, but I, you know, when you're talking about potentially Vegas, you're talking about Chicago, and depending on maybe who Washington or Carolina hires, all those teams are going to have young quarterbacks, whether it be Fields or Caleb, who he coached. And I think that's the X factor. He coached Caleb at USC this year, and the two of them got along great, and he loves the kid. So uh, Cliff is my guy. I'm curious to see where he ends up. And then all the other head coaching stuff. Is there a seat at the carousel for all these guys? You know, it's... It's interesting. Schefter Feels like said, Pete Carroll might get bumped out. I think so. Is Vrabel getting bumped out or is Belichick getting bumped out? I think Belichick to Atlanta makes sense. The issue with Atlanta is, you know, they've got Rich McKay, who is a longtime NFL man who is looking to obviously still be with the Falcons and Terry Fontenot, who is a GM that they got from New Orleans a couple of years ago. Arthur Blank is committed to those two guys. Is Belichick yeah. going to be able to come in with people that he has no real like 
is he going to just be able to come in and say, okay, I'll coach and we'll, go, like, we'll see how that mixes. But all these different seats, we thought Eberflus might be gone. He's back. We thought Dennis Allen might be gone. He's back. We thought Dallas. Todd, Bowles, Todd Bowles might be gone. And then we thought both Dallas and Philadelphia might be gone. It sounds like both those guys are going to be back. So, Oh, you think Sirianni comes back? I do. I do. I don't think they're going to blow. God, that's yet. like the most obvious Mike Vrabel team I've ever seen. You like that, huh? Vrabel? Again. I think Vrabel's, I think he's a top seven coach. Tomlin would be the fun chainsaw in the hot tub. I know. But you I love that term. I love that. Chainsaw I do. I just throw the chainsaw in the hot tub. Shit's water spraying all over the place. All right. I'll uh, ask you one. Who's a yeah. better guy for a TV gig if you put him on the, on the booth or in a studio? Vrabel, Belichick, Harbaugh. I don't think Harbaugh's doing TV, but Harbaugh. Or uh, who is the other guy that we said is is currently out of work that would be interesting? The answer, uh, well, Tomlin would be amazing. Tomlin was who I was thinking. Um, Belichick would be great on TV. And, and Studio or game? I don't think, no, it's, well, game would be the greatest thing that ever happened. But I, I don't yeah. think he would do that because he doesn't need I think he want, if he wants yeah. to coach again, yeah, and the travel and all that. But yeah. I think studio would be pretty great. Yeah, I could see I him think, doing the CBS hopping in there with like Coach Cower and a couple other people. That'd be pretty good. I think Vrabel yeah. would be pretty good also. Interesting. I, I can't imagine. Why wouldn't Vrabel coach again? I mean, is there a job for him? If there is, great. But Tennessee's one of the vacancies and he's not going back there and you start doing connected dots. It's like, is he going to Seattle? I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there's a place. I, don't, I thought Dallas would have been great for him. I thought New England would have been great for him. Um, I'm offering Bill Belichick a podcast right now. I would, you, you I would do an, any version of a Friday podcast he wants to do. Parcells used to do this pod when he was between, I, he was either the Jets and Cowboys jobs or the, I, I think it was Who between do do the Jets it? and Cowboys. It was really? with Will McDonough. Oh, I love that. And it was in Boston, but it might've been syndicated too. And it was an hour of him breaking down the games. Really? Was it awesome? And, we used to listen to it because it was like the most unbelievable gambling stuff ever where he would I'm just sure. be like, yeah, Jacksonville against Washington. They're not going to be able to run the ball on them. I just think <laughs> Jacksonville's going to get a lead. Everything he said basically happened. So if Belichick had some sort of football thing, I would go nuts. Parcells was on NBC for a little bit, then ESPN, right? Didn't he do TV for a little bit, Parcells? He did like it later. Space? This was when he did that one radio show, he had just coached oh and he still had his fastball and he trusted Will McDonough. And I also think it wasn't, Things weren't aggregated like they would yeah, be by yeah, the yeah. mid to late 2000s. So he could just say shit on the show. It was great. I don't know. It was my favorite. I, I, like, because I would love it too. And I, I just, in a new media world, like whether it be a pod with you or he goes and does something on a uh, on a different scale, like whatever it is. But if there isn't a job, I sure hope he doesn't just like, you know, go into the wilderness. Like I would love Belichick on TV. I really would. I think he's going to Atlanta. That that's I how it plays out. I yeah. do too. I thought Dallas was was a monkey wrench if they got just because that's 12 wins a year. But now that that's out, I still don't know how that's out. But now that that's out, um, can, we'll find he can out. Win, he can win in Atlanta. You just got to get him a quarterback. That's the key. How about Raheem Morris to Carolina? I love it. I would love it for him. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. That makes and so much sense. A ton of sense. Uh, Raheem's going to interview at a few places. I think the Chargers, Washington, Tennessee, like, I don't know. I hope, I think he Tennessee would for, be fun. He needs yeah, think, like a young team with no, low expectations and just, I think Raheem interviewed yesterday with Tepper in Carolina and I haven't heard how it went, but uh, they also have to hire a GM or announce that Dan Morgan, who's the in-house guy is going to be the GM. They've got to do that also. So Carolina is kind of going all over the place with coaches and with GMs and 
I'm very curious to see what Tepper's next move is there. Yeah, I want to see. Raheem was so bad as a head coach 10 years ago, but who was like, what was he, like 31? Yeah. And it was a mess. And it's like, it's crazy. It's worked twice with young guys. And then it's not worked like 20 times. Kyle Shanahan came out and said he would be his first pick. And then McVay and I were talking this week. A lot of it was about, you know, what can we do to help get Raheem, you know, in the right people's eyesight? And like, when you have McVay and Kyle and... Yeah, that's a pretty good start. These are, and Tomlin, these are all guys who rave about him. And then Jalen Ramsey came out and spoke up on him. But like, I don't know, they're not NFL owners. NFL owners have their own vision. Thank you for the help with Million Dollar Picks. Good talking football with you as always. Say hi to everybody in the tri-state for me. I will, like a chainsaw in the bathtub, baby. (laughs) Million Dollar Picks, round two, NFL playoffs. We're doing really well. We won $530,000 last week. We are up $2.662 million through the season. That's the good news. The bad news is, I'm a little squeamish about the slate this week. I don't like the high lines. I just, I think we're going to scale back just a little bit. We have a big nest egg here. We're just going to be a little more careful. We have four $200,000 bets that we're going to do. First one, Chiefs to beat the Bills outright, plus 126. We laid out the case with Peter Schrager. I think the Bills are too banged up on defense. I am not betting against Mahomes. Mahomes 8-1-1 one, one as an underdog, and I just think they have a better team than the Bills. I don't care where the game's played. I don't think the Chiefs do either. Chiefs plus 126 to win. I don't want the plus 2.5. We're just taking them to win. We're also going to put the Chiefs in a tease for 200K. Chiefs teased up to 8.5 because I think it's going to be a close game regardless. If they lose, if they win, uh, I think they're going to win, but I think it'll be close. It's going to be a nail-biter. We're going to put them with the Lions. I don't want to lay the six and a half with the Lions. I don't trust the cheap touchdown at the end, but I really genuinely believe the Lions are better than the Bucks. I think the Bucks are a little overvalued because the Eagles made them look better than they probably are last week because the Eagles rolled over and played dead like weekend at Bernie's. Lions teased down to 0.5. Chiefs teased up to plus eight and a half, putting 200K on that. We're also putting the Lions in a parlay. The Lions just to win with the Ravens to win the first half end the game against the Texans. I think the Ravens come out come out fast. I think they take the lead. Maybe CJ gets some stuff going in the second half, makes it a little tighter than you want. I don't want to mess with the nine and a half. Ravens win the first half. Ravens win the game. Lions win the game. That is plus 102. We're putting 200K in that. And then last but not least, this Packers, I, I just feel like the Packers are going to hang around in this Niners game. We're going to get nuts. I think they're going to move the ball offensively. Um, I know the Niners are awesome. I know the Niners are going to move the ball on them. I think both teams move the ball. So let's take the Packers up to 14 and a half. Let's take the over down to 42 and a half. So 43 points we win. That's minus 112 on FanDuel. And we're grabbing that for 200K as well. So those are the big bets. Also, just because it's the playoff, we got to put 10K each on Ravens minus nine and a half, Packers plus nine and a half, Lions minus six and a half, Chiefs plus two and a half, just to be on the record with the straight ups. Uh, very little, a sprinkling. Same game parlay, plus 562 in the Lions game. Lions money line, Mike Evans, 25 plus yards because he was stone hands in the last game. So you know they'll, they'll throw it to him a couple of times, try to get him going. But the big one for me, Peter, Peter Schrager brought this up. Jameer Gibbs, 40 yards receiving, 40 yards rushing. A 40-40 for Jameer Gibbs. You add that with the Lions money line and Mike Evans, 25 plus yards. That is plus 562. We're putting... 10K on that. We're just, again, sprinkling. We're being a little careful this week. 
We are also putting 10K just for, to root for it. Green Bay to win. Love 300 yards. Love throws two touchdowns. That's plus 1263 on FanDuel. Again, just sprinkling. So it's pigs in a blanket. It's little stuffed mushroom caps. It's little fried mozzarella sticks. We are not doing entrees. We're, we're going light. And then the last one, I had to do this. Casey and Buffalo goes into overtime. Plus 1160, putting 10K on that. So a bunch of small, tiny bets. And then our four big ones. But I think ultimately we come out of this weekend. Chiefs win. Lions win. Packers are surprisingly frisky against San Francisco. And the Ravens win the first half in the game. And those are where I want to concentrate my money on the million-dollar picks for round two. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Peter Schrager. Thanks to Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti. Don't forget to check out youtube.com slash Bill Simmons if you want a little extra content from us, plus clips from this podcast. Don't forget about theringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network as well. And enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football. I will see you on Sunday. Must be 21 plus and president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. You can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 188 188- 789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.